All right, there we go. All right, we are going to, like we do every single Sunday, we are going to start uh, our time together of studying the Word of God. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark for like a year now, probably over a year, and we're coming to the end. We only have just a couple more weeks left, and uh, I'm pretty excited about what God has for us next, and you know, <clears throat> I love being in a church where we really value um, studying the Word of God because every Sunday uh, we get together and we hear from Him uh, just a message that encourages us to remember how much He loves us, what He's done for us, and how we can apply what He has done for us into our own lives and our own situations. And it's really remarkable how um, what we talk about on Sundays generally plays out through the week's uh, that it's just God does some amazing things when we trust him and um, uh, his word is the source of that. Like it's like the uh, the treasure that we seek or kind of dig up uh, as we spend this time and invest this time. I know it's hard every Sunday to, to gather together and to listen to me or to whatever, you know, Bible study you want to be involved with. It's hard to to commit that time or to dig in and, and there's so many other distractions and things we could do. But God says, those who seek with seek me with all their hearts will find me. So just know, it is never wasted time. It will always, uh, the, the Bible says, God says about his word that it's like a seed that will never return to him void. It's like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's planting in us. And our relationship with him really grows as we spend this time with him. So, I just want to encourage you, if you're feeling distant from the Lord, that's okay. You just keep pushing on. You just keep seeking Him. He is right there with you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not angry with you. He is there for you. His love is sure and consistent, and it is everything that you need. So if you don't feel it, I know we talked about feelings last week, um, but if you don't feel like God is near to you, it's okay. He is near to you. That's the truth. And he's teaching and training each one of us to not live by feelings, but by faith. Faith in what his word says, faith in what the real truth is, and the truth is revealed to us in his word. So I just wanted to encourage you briefly about that. Uh, we are, you know, it's a new year, there's a new president, there's all kinds of new stuff going on, um, but maybe we feel uh, still alone or still, you know, don't have those feelings uh, just know God is with you, God loves you, and invest time in the Word of God, and He will lead you and guide you. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. We're in Mark chapter 16. Again, we're going to be finishing Mark. Today we're going to get through uh, the, let's see, the first eight verses of the sermon, or the chapter, and today's sermon is called, Are You Worried? Are You Worried? Okay? And um, so... We're going, to, we're going to basically answer three questions today. There's there's kind of three ways that we can worry. So before we get into those three ways, I just want to pray and uh, get, our, get our hearts and minds focused on the Lord again. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, you are the source of all peace and truth, that you are in control of absolutely everything. Uh, that's very, very important when we have prodigal children and when we have diseases and sickness and when we have poverty, we need to know and be able to trust that you are in control. 
And God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see each other and the needs that we have, to be vulnerable with each other and share our needs. And God, I pray that uh, you would help us to serve one another as an extension of your love for us. And I pray that through this uh, time in your word, that we would learn how to lay our worries down at your feet and trust you. Amen. All right, so the first worry that we generally uh, struggle with is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start like this, like a question. Are you worried about how something is going to work out? Are you worried about how something is going to work out? And this is a, any worry that's connected with an obstacle, okay? So like this giant rock in the middle of the road. Um, are you worried that there's something ahead in the future that is going to be an obstacle for you, for your family, for your life, for your career, for your marriage, anything like that? A lot of times we worry about these obstacles. Well, today we're going to learn that at the resurrection in the empty tomb, we are going to find the answer for that worry. We are going to find out how God answers and, and God takes care of those issues at the resurrection. The second question that we ask is, are you worried about how you have failed? Are you worried about how you have failed? Or take, take it even further, or be more blunt, how you have denied Jesus. And uh, these are worries that are connected with our own weakness and our own failure. You know, are you worried that your failure is somehow going to uh, come back on you? Like this guy, he is trying his best to escape from a prison, uh, but little does he know that he's going to dig right into the latrine, uh, whatever you call that, where all the poo is. That's a failure, right? He is worried about his failures. Well, he's not even, he doesn't even know, but his failures are going to make a big mess. That's going to be a mess. Well, if this is the kind of worries you have, that you're worried about your own failures and your own mistakes, Jesus has something for you today. Um, and what we're going to learn is that Jesus has not failed you, and he will not deny you even if you have failed. All right, the third worry that we are going to talk about is, are you worried about where you need to go? About how you are going to become what you should become? How you're going to change? How you're going to transform? Are you, is, this is the worry that's connected with your future being uncertain. Okay, kind of like this foggy road. You don't know what's ahead. Those are always kind of dangerous roads to be driving down. Um, and our solution that we're going to learn today for this type of worry is that Jesus has already gone there. Jesus is already at the end. Jesus is already where you need to be. And we're going to find out some other neat truths about that, that he's, he's going to get you. He's already brought you to where you need to be. So this basically covers everything that we worry about, okay, guys? Um, except that worry that uh, if this is all a simulation like the Matrix, okay? So if that's, uh, the, the, you know, we don't have a Bible, I guess, solution today that we're going to study about uh, whether this is all the Matrix, which maybe it is, I don't know. Um, 
I'm not sure how we're going to deal with that one. So let's go ahead and get into our text, though, and see these three solutions that Jesus has for us um, for these three worries that we have through these uh, this this uh, eight verses that we have here. So it says here in Mark chapter 16, verse one. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might anoint him. So you have your, you know, it's been, Jesus has been in the grave for a few days, uh, three days now. And, and uh, these women are coming to complete the process of his burial. They didn't have time or the spices to do it before. They had to rush because the Sabbath was starting. <coughs> Excuse me. This is like bringing flowers to a gravesite. Okay, so they're having a little, you know, funeral service for Jesus, kind of. Uh, they didn't have time, but they wanted to still honor Jesus. It was very, very important to them, uh, just like it's important for anyone that dies, that we have a funeral service and we honor them and their life. Um, then it says, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. All right, so they have a big stone on their mind. They have a big obstacle about their future, and they're wondering about it. They're, they're worried about it, you could say, okay? And uh, one thing I notice here is that these women, these followers of Jesus, okay, they did not expect the resurrection. That is remarkable. That's amazing. Actually, no one expected the resurrection, even though Jesus said many times, I'm going to rise from the dead, just as plainly, but they all thought that he was talking about something different. They were all confused about what was happening, uh, but no one was planning on this resurrection, as we can see. Um, the tomb was sealed and guarded by a whole you know, you know, legion of Roman soldiers, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish priests and the leaders of the Jews had asked the Romans to seal the tomb to make sure that no one would steal the body because they remember that Jesus said Jesus was going to. So they actually had more faith in the words of Jesus than his own followers did. Um, you know, they, they put these guards there and the disciples had no plan to steal the body because what does a dead body do for you? The disciples were brokenhearted because they really loved Jesus. He was their friend, and they have really no interest in his dead body. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, if, if Jesus was dead, then for his friends, he is basically, you know, a liar. And he's not who they thought he was, because they all thought he was the Messiah. They all thought he was going to free Israel from the Roman occupation that he was going to save the world and if he's just dead then his dead body is not what they want and so they have no reason to steal that dead body so it makes no sense for them to steal the body when they um, a they couldn't do it because it was impossible because it was guarded and there was a giant stone covering it and b the body wouldn't help them anyway because he's their friend and he's not going to do what he said he was going to do. So they've been duped. You know, that's their, that's, that's, if he's dead, if he's really dead and just dead, 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 then their hopes are dead too. And um, to steal the body would be like burning your own house down to prove that you have insurance. 
but your insurance isn't going to cover your house if you burn your own house down. It, it does nothing to help you. These disciples did not steal the body, <clears throat> um, and it wouldn't, they wouldn't have wanted to anyway. But this reveals a larger issue, okay? These, these girls come in, these women come in. Uh, they were worried about how things were going to work out. Because when they left here on Friday, this tomb, uh, the tomb was covered with a huge rock that they could never move. This was an obstacle that was in their way, and they knew that they could never move it themselves. Uh, this was a rock that they considered to be, that they were too weak to move, and they were right. They were absolutely right to think that they were too weak to move this big rock. So they're worried about how this is all going to work out because they really uh, have this desire to see the body of Jesus and to honor him, to give him this funeral. And uh, But they're worried about how it's going to work out. So our question is, do you ever worry about how something is going to work out? You see the obstacles. You see the rocks. You see the things that are in the way from your goal. We are really good at seeing the problems right in front of us. We're really good at looking straight ahead. We can, we can take a list and we can write down a list of all the problems that are right in front of us. I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't lift it. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. These are all problems. These are all um, rocks that you could say are too big for us. But the problem is that we're looking in the wrong place. We are looking straight ahead. We're looking at the problems. When we, What we need to do is look up. Did you see that in our text? It says the women, well, it says right here, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. How many times do we neglect to look to God up and wait upon him because we're too busy looking at our problems. We're too busy looking at the rocks blocking our path. We're too busy worrying about how this is going to work out. What we can do to affect the outcome of this situation. I'm just here to tell you guys there is another way that God has designed for us to be set free from the worry of future things. It's to look up instead. It's to look to Jesus instead. When you look to Jesus, what will you see? When you look for Jesus, what will you see? Well, the first thing you'll see, just like these women, is you will see an empty tomb. An empty tomb, which means he is no longer dead. He is alive. Our text says, entering the tomb... They saw a young man clothed in long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You see, guys, when we look at Jesus instead of our problems, when we look for Jesus instead of our problems, it will probably freak us out a little bit because we might see 
heavenly things that don't make sense to our worrying minds. See, your mind is earthly and fleshly. Your mind must worry if your mind is going to maintain sanity. But when we look at Jesus, we may see heavenly things, things that are not bound by the rules of this reality, things that have supernatural power, just like an angel in this story where the invisible world is revealed to us as we spend time looking at Jesus. We start to see his power, his authority, his life, that he is not threatened, that he is not scared, that he is not out of control, and that no rock is standing in the way between you and him. It has been removed out of the way. And there, there, that really was the only obstacle that needed moved in your life was anything that stood between you and him. But now that that is gone, we have direct access to Jesus. The invisible world is really what we need to understand if we're going to stop worrying. That God is in control. We have nothing to worry about when God is in control. <clears throat> he can send angels to move stones and mountains if need be. And God is looking for faith. He's looking for faith. Anyone that would look unto him, he is looking for them. <clears throat> the angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You know, sometimes it really takes a spiritual message from heaven to calm us down and teach us to stop freaking out. That there is no need to worry. Sometimes we need to hear that directly from heaven. That God is in control. When, when one of our brothers or sisters tells us, hey, just you know, calm down, don't worry about that. It doesn't mean as much as when it comes directly from God. And that's why it's so vital and important for us to get alone and seek him. Because when you hear it from him, it's a thousand times more impactful and meaningful to your soul, to your heart, than when just another person says it. Although it can mean a lot when someone says it. And so I encourage you to encourage each other to look to the Lord. But we have to have our own time with the Lord to be able to hear that from him. God is in control and God will do more wonderful things than you could ever comprehend. He'll tell you that. And uh, <clears throat> this, this guy, this angel is about to show these women wonderful things that they could never have imagined or thought. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Okay. Now just notice the two things that are mentioned about Jesus right there. Nazareth was not a famous place. In fact, it was kind of a trashy place to be from. Yet Jesus identified as that. And crucifixion, being crucified, was not a wonderful thing. It was the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. So this angel highlights the two things about Jesus that seem to be the worst things about who, his life. The things that he's gone through, the things that he's experienced and this angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. Now, those three words change everything. Now, Jesus of Nazareth is going to be known as the one who has conquered death. He identified with the lowliest of all people, us sinners, and he has transformed them, forgiven them, and he has conquered even death, the penalty of sin. He has beaten it. He has broken it. And the angel says, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. So the solution to their worrying 
was the risen Jesus. Think about that. In your life, the solution to your worrying about the future and any obstacles there is the resurrection of Jesus, the risen Jesus, risen and in control, risen no longer to die again, risen, seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He lives to love you and to care for you, and he knows what's coming, and he knows how to take care of you. Resurrection life and resurrection power is found when we seek Jesus and find him, when we seek Jesus and lay hold of him. Um, this is what they really needed, but they didn't even know that they needed it. Jesus knew what they needed, these women. They were coming, and they had worries, but at the empty tomb they found, and they received a message that all that they needed was provided for them already. They thought they were going to see a dead friend. They thought they were going to anoint him, bring him, you know, flowers, we could say, that they would give him blessings that they would honor him and this kind of speaks of works they were kind of thinking what they could do for jesus okay but instead they find evidence of a living lord not a dead friend but a living lord and they will receive the blessings they will receive the works that he did and that's what we call grace instead of us working for him it's him doing all for us and we get to love him, adore him, and then we can serve him through the power that he has uh, given to us. So again, our question for this first third of the message is, are you worried about how something is going to work out? And the, God, the answer God gives us is, at the resurrection and at the empty tomb, you will find your answer. You will find your answer. And guess what? The angel moved the stone. We know that the angel actually moved this stone um, but he didn't move the stone to let Jesus out, okay? The angel moved the stone to let the women see inside, to let his disciples see inside, to let us see the evidence that he was not there. That's the only reason the stone was moved. Jesus is not bound by a silly stone. There's no thing in your life that's big enough to keep Jesus down or away or too big for him, right? Um, but God will move them so that you can see his glory, so that you can see his power in his risen life. All right, our text goes on and says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now I'm just going to stop right there because those two words are so vital, so wonderful, so filled with mercy and grace. Um, we'll get to that in just a minute. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So this angel specifically mentions our goober friend, Peter. And we've been really hard on Peter recently in all of these sermons, you know, and he deserves it. You know, let me tell you, he was quite the goober. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He has been a huge failure. Okay, he has betrayed Jesus. He has denied Jesus. And I just want you to think, just take a moment. How do you think Peter feels right now? How do you think he feels? It's been three days since Jesus died. 
I think he's probably really worried. I think he's brokenhearted, but I think there's a fair amount of worry in his life. What does Jesus think of me? He's probably so angry with me. God sees everything. God knows what I did. Oh, man. I don't know what is going to happen to me. I have failed so badly. I don't deserve him. I don't deserve him as a friend. I don't deserve him as a savior. I don't deserve him as anything. I deserve to be cast out of his presence. But Jesus has something for Peter. Jesus has something for Peter, something very special. And he's told this angel, you tell those women, go tell all the disciples, but, and Peter, make sure you, make sure Peter hears this from you, that I got something for him. So our question for you is, are you worried about how you have failed? How you have denied Jesus? I'm not going to ask you if you failed and if you denied Jesus, because you have. I have. We all have. That is just the truth. You come to church to hear the truth, and the truth is we have all failed, and we've all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. In that case, Jesus has something for you and me. Jesus has not failed you. Jesus will not deny you. What does Jesus think of Peter? What does Jesus think of this failure, this betrayer, this denier? Well, I'm just going to read Jeremiah 29, 11, because it really lays out God's heart for all failures, for all those sinners. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus has nothing but love for Peter, even though Peter failed. Jesus has grace for him. Jesus has forgiveness for Peter. That's what, he, that's what he's waiting to give Peter, is that forgiveness. He has mercy for Peter. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and Jesus wants to pour that out on his beloved Peter. Jesus calls Peter by name. Just like he calls me when I screw up. When I'm denying the Lord, when I'm sinning and running from the Lord, I hear a small voice in my heart. It's not loud. It's not angry. It's not forceful. It's gentle, but it's sincere. And it calls my name and it says, come back to me. And I'm hoping that every one of you hear that voice too. And that when we hear that voice, we repent, which means we turn around. We say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, take me back. And he has nothing but kind words, loving forgiveness and mercy to give to us. 
there's another way that we can respond to that still small voice, and that's to ignore it or to drown it out with busyness or with things that we do to try to entertain ourselves or keep ourselves busy or just ignore our relationship with God. And I, I encourage you to take time to get away from all the stuff, to put down the electronics, to put down the technology, to get alone with a Bible and your Lord and just listen to what he says to you. Because what he'll say is he'll call you by name just like Peter and he'll say, I love you. You have sinned, you have failed, but I love you and I will take you back and I, I care about you. That's what he says. So reading that verse again, he says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. And the next part that we're going to look at real quick is that he is going before you. This is that, that third question that we have of are you worried about where you need to go, about how you're going to become what you need to become. And we're going to we're going to deviate from our scripture here and we're going to go over to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. Hebrews 6 says, "This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil." where the forerunner, and that's our key word here, forerunner, has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There's so much in there, but what we are going to do is we're going to focus on that term forerunner, and we're going to have a Greek word of the day. Our Greek word of the day is prodromos, prodromos, which is where we get the word Forerunner. This is the only place in the whole Bible that this word prodromos is used. So everyone say prodromos. Now you know a Greek word, another Greek word like tetelestai or any of the other ones we've, we've studied. And this word prodromos uh, was used very specifically for those who would go out um, and explore a battlefield before a battle a long, long time ago. But in Jesus's day, it was actually used for the little boats that would go in front of the big boats to get into a harbor. So a lot of times when there was a big storm, the big boats would be out kind of further out into sea, and they would be trying to get into the little harbor that was calm, but they couldn't make it in there because they, they, a lot of times they had a small entry. It was very difficult to get right in there. So they'd get, they would get something called prodromi, which were these little boats, uh, which were called the forerunners. And so they would take the anchor of the... Um, the big boats, and they would they would carry the anchor for the big boats into the harbor, and then they would drop the anchor right there in the harbor, and then the big boats could kind of go into the harbor safely, and so that's what a forerunner was. And this is an awesome word. And um, in the uh, book, The Word Studies of the New Testament, a guy named Marvin Vincent, um, he he teaches us a little bit about this word. I'm just going to quote him uh, what he says about this word, prodromos. Prodromos expresses an entirely new idea, um, lying completely outside of the Levitical system. So he's talking about a priest being a forerunner, but Old Testament priests weren't forerunners uh, in this sense. <clears throat> he says the Levitical high priest did not enter the sanctuary as a forerunner, but only as the people's representative. 
he entered a place into which none might follow him, in the people's stead, not as their pioneer. <clears throat> the glory of the new covenant economy is that, the, is that Christ as the high priest goes nowhere where his people cannot follow him. He introduces man into full fellowship with God. The um, authorized version of the Bible entirely misses this point by rendering it as the forerunner, as if the idea that the high priest is, uh, being a forerunner was familiar to the people listening to it. So what he's saying there is that being a forerunner was something completely new. No priest had ever done this before. So remember, the Old Testament priests, they, had, they just represented the people. They just brought their knees before God. They couldn't actually bring anyone into God's presence. God allowed them to go into the presence of God one time a year and only after a bunch of sacrifices to, to represent the people and to show that God wanted a relationship with them, but it was not a perfect relationship. But Jesus, on the other hand, does something completely different. He is a forerunner in a sense that he brings us in to God's presence and it said in our text that uh, he's like an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is just amazing. Okay, so our question again is, are you worried about where you, will, you need to go? About how you're going to become who you need to become? How you're going to change or be sanctified, transformed? Well, the answer we have from our text here is that Jesus has already gone there. He's already gone to Galilee, and he says to his disciples, Come on, guys! Come on, Peter! I've already gone there. I've already taken care of everything. Just follow me. Just follow me. I'm already there. Jesus shares all of his victory with all of us. He holds nothing back. He invites us, each one, no matter how strong or how weak, to partake in everything he has done. Each one of us gets an equal share of all that Jesus has provided for us. Jesus has gone there and shown us the way that he has gone. Jesus is the guarantee that we will arrive where he has already been, where he is, Jesus has arrived where we are going. But I'm worried that I might not make it. The fact of the matter is that he is the anchor of our hope. And this anchor has two chains coming up to the boat. This anchor has the chain of God's promise and... and um, oath and we can lay hold of that promise and that oath to enter with Jesus into God's presence to be saved to be secure eternally to have assurance of our salvation it has nothing to do with you and your performance it's all about God his promise his oath <clears throat> it will work it will hold fast all we need to do is be true to him as he is to us. And that's why he says, let us hold fast our confession of our faith firm until the end. <clears throat> it is about faith. That is how we hold on to this anchor. That is how we stay 
you could say, saved. Faith is the enduring quality that needs to be there. Faith is also the beginning quality. You are not saved if you don't have faith in Jesus. And a faith that perseveres and endures is true faith. Very clear, very easy. Because none of it has to do with me or my failures or my successes. It's all about what is my faith placed in? What am I holding on to? It's him. It's his works that do it. You do not need to worry about getting... (coughs) Excuse me. You do not need to worry about getting where you need to go because Jesus will get you there. You just stay true to him, keep trusting in him, and you will see him just as he said to you. Keep the faith is the message. Keep the faith. So it says that they went out quickly, these women, and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Interesting, their response to this. They said nothing to anyone. Well, that was their response. So let's think about our response. What are we going to do? Now that we've heard this message of how to trust in Jesus instead of worrying, let's ask these three questions again and just refresh on what they are. Are you worried about something? how something is going to work out? Well, at the resurrection, you are going to find your answer. There's no problem. Whatever you're worried about the future, it's not a big deal. Jesus will take care of it. Number two, are you worried about how you have failed or how you have denied Jesus? Well, Jesus has something for you, very special for you. He's going to call your name and he's going to tell you he has not failed you. He's not rejected you and he will not deny you. That's what you'll find here. And number three, are you worried about where you need to go? About how you should become what you need to become? About how you're going to change and, and be sanctified and become the saint that you know you should be? Well, Jesus has already promised to take you there. And the way to that is faith living, not trying harder, but holding on to Jesus, abiding with him. And he says he's already brought you there. And as you abide, that fruit that you're looking for, it will be seen in your life. So give him time, be patient, live with him, and he will give you that life. And that's our time in the word today. So I encourage you all, reach out this week and and tell someone that you love them. If you have questions or prayer requests, please reach out to me. I would love to to, um, uh, connect with you guys in any way that you'd like. And uh, as you guys go through this week, be praying. We are looking, searching for a place that we could meet and gather together. Um, And so if you know of a place and you'd like us to check out, um, or you want to, you know, pray for us or be involved, give me a call and I'll talk to you about it and, uh, we will move on from there. Uh, God bless you guys. I hope, uh, and also everyone please pray that the Bills win because Dana's a huge Bills fan and, uh, we want them to win. So we'll all talk to you guys later. Bye.